0: your Bibles, um, I guess a good place to turn would be 1st Chronicles 16. Um, That's kind of a centerpiece of the book of Chronicles, though we won't be uh, reading from a specific text that will come up uh, through the sermon so that you're there and ready to follow along in 1st Chronicles. That's a good place to be, 1st Chronicles chapter 16. Turn those lights off. I'm gonna to go to the Lord now uh, in prayer prior to getting started. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we know that it is your word which with which washes us and transforms us and makes us into that blameless, radiant bride that you long for us, that you are working in us uh, to become. So, Father, I pray that if we have any distractions this morning, if there's anything filling our mind that would keep us from hearing from you and to being, from being transformed by your word, that you would remove those distractions and give us this time to just give our gaze to you, to your glory, and to your word. Father, we pray that your spirit would open our eyes to behold all of the wonderful things from your word that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my theme this morning, right off the bat, is that perspective matters. Perspective matters. And if you want to Put up that picture here. This is a, a picture that I saw. It's been going around, making its way around uh, in the meme, the meme or whatever you wanna call it. Um, but here we have this up close shot. And if I asked my kids this morning, what's going on? Uh, both of them said that this dog or this wolf is trying to bite the head off of the sheep. But I can tell you that there is a zoomed out version. And there's a zoomed out version, which tells a much different story. And if you've already seen that, don't spoil it with your neighbor uh, to the right of you. But before we go to that, don't go to that next picture. Because I want to leave you in suspense until the end of the sermon. Hopefully that will help you stay awake, waiting upon that. (laughs) But I wonder how, how often, we all know this, right? How often, because of our limited perspective... Do we feel like we are hopeless or defeated or doomed? Maybe even that God is finished with us or has abandoned abandoned us or does not hear our prayers, like we're all alone. Maybe for you it's been a job loss or maybe it was a, a flooded house or a natural disaster. Maybe it was a car accident or maybe it's a child who's been in rebellion who has not yet returned to the Lord. Last week, our theme was the end of the world as we know it. About how Israel's time in the promised land had at last come to an end with the invasion of Assyria to the north and Babylon to the east and Judah was carried away off into captivity, their city and their house of worship completely burned to the ground and lying in ruins. If you were at ground zero, if you were there during this time, I think you probably would have been tempted to just give up hope altogether. God had told them that he would keep them there in the promised land as long as they were faithful to him, and they knew that they had not been faithful. And so here they were, cut off from his promised blessing, and that's all they could see. They didn't know what the future held for them, probably not even a ray of hope that was peeking through. And so I introduced 1 Chronicles in this way because the context in which 1 Chronicles is written is probably equally important, if not just the most important thing about understanding the message of this book. This book was completed after Israel had returned back to Jerusalem after being in captivity for 70 years. So they had returned to their homeland. And when they returned, it would have been left in the state that they found it, at least in terms of their walls lying in ruins and their temple lying in ruins. And the temple that would be rebuilt and the city that would be rebuilt would still be a far, far cry from that powerful nation that they were once a part of. They were now this tiny little blip in terms of uh, the nations of the world. And so in many ways, the book of Chronicles is a history, is an account for them that was meant to give them hope. That was meant to give them this, this God sized perspective that would stretch well beyond their immediate circumstances. That could take them back in history to all the things God was doing with them in order to propel them forward to see all the things that God would still have in store for them. Perspective matters. Perspective matters. I know that in the day to day, it's really easy for me to forget that God is up to something much bigger than anything I can see right in front of me. I think one of the hardest lessons for us to grasp is this lesson that really God's number one concern, which is bigger than your life and bigger than my life, is actually his own glory. God's biggest concern in the universe is his own glory. And 1 Chronicles, first off, reminds us that God is at the center. God is the center of everything. First Chronicles teaches us this, that God always acts in a way that is going to bring him the most glory. Now, before you protest, you mean he doesn't care about me? He only cares about himself? No, he, he most certainly does Care about you. That's just the thing. But he's always going to act in a way that is best for his glory in order that you and I can experience the best that he has for us. Listen to 1 Chronicles 16. I'm just going to read a little bit of it here. This is David's prayer right in the middle of the book. When the story is being told of him bringing the Ark of the Covenant, that centerpiece of the worship of God, bringing it back to its resting place in Jerusalem. Listen to where David's focus is in this prayer. Think of all the ways you might have been tempted to pray if this was your situation. but This is how he prays. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples sing to him sing praises to him tell of all his wondrous works glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice seek the lord and his strength seek his presence continually Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, sing to the Lord, this is verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, And greatly to be praised and he is to be feared above all gods in verse 34 oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever you see at his very best David's primary concern was whether God was glorified whether God was glorified in his own life, whether God was glorified among the nations, whether God was glorified in Israel. David was always at his very best when his primary concern was that God was receiving the glory, and that's the best place we could possibly be today. So the material chosen by this chronicler, we don't know exactly who the chronicler was, might have been Ezra, might have been Nehemiah, but the material that is chosen is very carefully selected in a way that demonstrates God's glory is the aim of everything in history. If you, Israel, want to prosper in this land, if you want to prosper as God's people, you will first need to see this by considering the whole story of God. You are in need of my God-sized and God-centric perspective. We are in need of a God-sized and God-centric perspective. If you only read 1 Chronicles as just kind of the next book in line in the canon, right after 2 Kings, I think without that context, it's probably just going to seem like boring repetition of history that you've already read. You might say, Why am I why am I reading this? I've already read this same story about David and about Saul and about Solomon. But remember its purpose. And if Israel is in need of this God-sized perspective, where might be the best place to begin? How about all the way back to Adam? That's where the book of Chronicles begins. It begins with Adam. Chronicles covers more historical mileage than any other book in our Bibles. It takes us from Adam all the way to the return from exile just a few hundred years before Christ. I'm thinking about that I'm like, well, actually, I guess Matthew does the same thing. But in our Old Testament, it covers more historical mileage, taking us from Adam to the return from exile. Now, I'll freely admit, 1st Chronicles and 2nd Chronicles, Chronicles, particularly 1 Chronicles, will not be the most riveting book of the Old Testament that you're going to read. I sometimes ask people what their favorite book of the Bible is and I am still waiting for somebody to tell me 1st Chronicles. So if that's you, find me after the service because I'd like to meet you and just pick your brain for a little bit. But the first 10 chapters is really this tough slog through genealogy after genealogy. Somebody actually who is doing the Bible reading plan, I won't name the name, texted me during this and said, man, I don't know if I can do this. Um, Chronicles is very painful. But it's not random. Somebody's laughing like that. (laughs) It's not random. It traces the line from Adam through Noah, through Abraham, through Jacob. It's not telling us the genealogies of everyone of all time everywhere. Adam through Noah, through Abraham, through Jacob, through Judah, down to a son of Judah, a great, great, great grandson of Judah, David, And it includes genealogies from David and all the tribes of Israel. It's it's a genealogy that's taking us to a point, showing us this preserved line that God is maintaining, which will eventually lead us to the king who will be on the throne of Israel forever. And if for no other reason... um, Talk about the need for our church today to be catechized or to be instructed in the basics, the fundamentals of the faith. These things would have been known uh, several generations before us, but a lot of times, people today, we just don't know these things about the Bible. Take time to, to just go through in your head, Adam you know, Adam to Noah to Abraham to Jacob to Judah to follow that line to Christ because it helps make a lot of sense of the Bible um, as you read. It's kind of like learning the ABCs. Uh, it's hard to read if you don't know your ABCs. It's hard to make sense of a lot of parts of the Old Testament if you can't trace that, that lineage. So let me just as an aside encourage you to do that. But why might this be helpful for this small, tiny remnant of people who are returning back to their homeland after years of captivity in Babylon? You imagine generations that would have been raised up in Babylon that if their, their parents weren't faithful to instruct them in the word of God or if their parents had no access, they may have no really a sense of identity, no connection with the history of Israel. Now, there's a word that I have begun to use much more often now, particularly in these last two years, than I ever thought I would. And this is one of the reasons why I think we have the book of 1 Chronicles. That word is the word myopic or myopia. I don't know if anybody knows what myopia means, but it's essentially nearsightedness. Um, And so to be nearsighted is to be myopic, to only to think that whatever is right in front of you is the biggest thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. First Chronicles cures us of spiritual myopia. First Chronicles helps cure us of spiritual myopia. This word is, it's used a lot to describe the tendency that we all have to not be able to see beyond what is right in front of us. And I think as our society has become more and more self-centered, more and more self-preserving, this disorder has only grown worse. We believe that our problems are the biggest problems, that the issues facing our country today are unprecedented and the worst ever. We're tempted to think that our interests are the most important interests in the world throughout all time and in fact i I printed off a sermon this week that i read i put it on the back table if you want to pick this up it looks like this on the front cover but i printed out a sermon uh from a man a pastor in washington dc uh named francis grimke from 1918 he was an african-american presbyterian pastor preaching a sermon in 1918 right on the heels of world war one Right in the middle of the Spanish flu, and he's urging his congregation to to obey the the mandates for the public uh, health of the government. It's really fascinating to read. He's also dealing with great racial prejudice. And so he's speaking about uh, things that are happening in terms of world wars. He's talking about pandemics, and he's talking about racial prejudice that is plaguing the nation. (laughs) Some things never change, right? It's a fascinating read. I encourage you to read it. One of the countless blessings of a God-centered view of history is that it steers us away from myopic tendencies. By showing us this long arc of God's plan of redemption from Adam all the way to what's coming, it gives us the perspective that we need. If you know that there is a plan that has been in place from the beginning of the universe, and there is a plan that started with that first man, Adam, that continued on through Noah, whose family was preserved through a global flood, that through his son, Shem, a whole nation was formed and given a purpose and given specific instructions, that God would establish his royal line to teach his people how much they needed A king needed him to be their king. That he had established this concept of a dwelling place among his people long before there was a brick and mortar temple, such that even if that temple were to be completely destroyed, like it was, or even if that new temple were to be a far cry from what they thought it would be, the reality of God's dwelling place on earth would still remain. The reality that God would have a king on the throne of Israel would still remain. If you can see this God-sized plan and vision, then I think it will bring perspective to where your present troubles and trials fit in to that bigger plan. I just think how easy it must have been to be nearsighted when all you could see in front of you was the ruins of what your life used to be. The place that you once lived was rubble. The place where you once went to church was rubble. Family members that you once lived with and enjoyed life with are now gone. There have been days in our lives when I'm sure I'm sure there are probably days ahead when we are not going to be able to see past the rubble. We are not going to be able to see past the scary circumstances that face us. And we will need to be reminded of that bigger picture, of the bigger plans that God has in store for us. First Chronicles gives us the perspective that we need to press on the perspective that we all need to be able to persevere through those times. I had a, a pastor friend who recently uh, posted this quote, which I really like. He said, I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when things will change. I know God, which is infinitely more important than what I don't know. I wanna read that one more time, I like that. I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know why this is happening. We're all gonna feel like this at one point, another in life. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when things will change. I know God, which is infinitely more important than what I don't know. And I would say that it's hard to know God. It's hard to know the history of his plan for us if we don't take up and read even books like First and Second Chronicles. i give you just an eensy, 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 teensy, teensy weensy, bitsy bitsy, bitsy, bitsy illustration of how this played out in my life just three Sundays ago. Actually, it was the Sunday after I checked in with Chris after being gone for three weeks. And Chris said, well, no, you know, nothing really happened. No emergencies or anything like that. And I get a text on Sunday morning and Jorge says, there's standing water all throughout the fellowship hall. The church is flooded. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Thanks Thanks for saying that. That was about 45 minutes before Sunday school. So in my mind, I'm preparing for uh, the sermon, preparing to get ready for for all, all the things that are happening. I'm just thinking like, really? Like you had to do this on the first Sunday back? I had just been back a couple days. And so like Judah returning to their homeland, I was facing all of the fun of returning to our flooded church. Admittedly, The circumstances were not nearly as dire as Judah's circumstances. Yet even then, not knowing just how much work this was going to involve, I was kind of teetering between two different thoughts. One, this is going to be really hard. And two, yeah, I guess God probably meant it for a reason. Now, for some perspective, the rest of the story. I get here and a whole team is converging on the property, coming together, people bringing towels and fans and shop vacs, fans that I was able to borrow once the church was dry and able to bring over to another church member's house where a whole other group of men descended to help somebody recover from a flooded basement. All of this became another occasion for the church to show off the glory of God in his church, to show off his manifold wisdom, to show off the various gifts that he has given to the church to bring glory to his name. Now, see, I just told you that story. If I hadn't told you that story, that would be one less marvelous work that you would have in your toolkit to remember that our God is a good God who has good plans in store for us. God is faithful. I think our church grew in many ways that day in a sense of <clears throat> unity, in a sense of fellowship, and a sense of caring for one another. And I think that was on display for people who were not even a part of our church. Many received blessings. Some people are able, you know this, this may be you, it's definitely not me. Some people are able to walk into a dilapidated house and just see all of the potential for a dream home. Is that you, Jeff? You can walk into ruins and think, this is a great fixer-upper. This is going to look magnificent. That's not natural for me. I am mostly an optimistic person, but I have a a really hard time seeing something beyond a big pile of mess and work right in front of me. And what I'm not urging for us this morning, I'm not urging us to be blindly optimistic. But I am urging us to see the hope of redemption because we know God's story from beginning to end. We know that we serve a God who brings redemption out of the ruins. But there is one condition. And that condition is that in order to experience that redemption for ourselves, we have to trust him. We still have to trust him. And here we have a reminder to God's people, number one, that he has in fact not abandoned Judah. He has not abandoned his people. Number two, that this very, very difficult situation is actually going to be a major part of his plan to save his people. I won't spend much more time summarizing 1 Chronicles. It's, it's largely the story you already heard in First and 2 Samuel. It talks about Saul. It tells of his death. It talks about David anointing, uh, being anointed as king and the redemption of the kingdom. How David wanted to build a permanent temple to God in Jerusalem. How God ultimately gave that task to Solomon. It ends with the story of the anointing of Solomon as king and David's death. Some people may take issue with the fact that this national history presented in 1 Chronicles actually seems to overlook some of the big personal blemishes, like David's sin with Bathsheba. In fact, the Greek title for the book of Chronicles was Things Omitted, or Things Left Out from those other stories that you can learn about in the kings. Remember, the Bible very honestly and openly addresses those major sins, but that was not the purpose of this particular history in Chronicles. You think about our church history here, and one of the things I love about Center Baptist Church is it's 125 years old. So we have a long story of God preserving a people to bring glory to his name and to proclaim gospel. To proclaim the gospel in this community and beyond. If you were to read our church history, I think you would find, you would, you would read some of the very courageous things that Swedish-speaking Christians who wanted to establish a gospel presence here in Omaha did 125 years ago, how God preserved the church through some very difficult seasons, seasons like the Great Depression, two world wars, three location changes, a transition from Swedish being a Swedish-speaking church to an English-speaking church, which, if you can imagine, that must have been a really, really hard decision to make. But you would read the history that is meant to show God's providential hand upon all of this, and a church that, on the whole, never departed from its primary mission of proclaiming the gospel. 125 years, what was being preached among this congregation is still the main thing being preached today that's worthy of like at least an amen or something okay all right well first chronicles similarly takes us from the first man adam to the first royal offspring of david thus confirming two really big promises in the old testament It highlights for us that although people can sometimes be fickle and faithless and change their minds and rebellious and get distracted, that God's plan for them has not deviated even one-tenth of a degree from his promises. Two of these promises. One, a promise back in Genesis chapter three that the offspring of Eve will one day crush the head of the evil one for good. Still happening, still going on. Number two, that a son of David will rule God's people forever. These are two promises that are still true to this day. An offspring of Eve will crush the head of Satan, what Jesus did on the cross. And a son of David will rule God's people forever. He is ruling on his throne right now. Knowing the promises of the past will provide the perspective needed to press on in God's perfect plan in the present. That's a mouthful of peas. Let me just read that one more time. Knowing the promises of the past will provide the perspective needed to press on in God's perfect plan in the present. If all you see in front of you right now is ruins or troubles or an overwhelming project before you or an empty bank account or an indefinite season of prolonged difficulty or suffering, you need a God-sized perspective to press on. You will need the perspective that your trials are not intended to be the end of the story, but instead, the parts of the story where God is doing the most meaningful refining in your life. Through the genealogies even, First Chronicles includes the reminder that there was once a perfect garden where God dwelt among his people. Yet then there was a fall. Yet after that fall, there was hope of redemption. Then there was a flood of judgment upon the world. Yet God rescued a faithful remnant and reiterated his promise of preservation with his bow in the sky, which we still get to behold today. That there was a horrific period where Israel was enslaved to Egypt, and yet God rescued them with his mighty hand. That there was the great apostasy of King Saul, yet God raised up a David. And that he made these very two specific promises to David, a dwelling place forever, that he would dwell among his people forever, and that there would be a king on the throne forever. And lastly, First Chronicles, in light of this, points us forward to our final home, our final resting place. You see, God's dwelling place among man forever King Jesus ruling on his throne forever. We have all of this right now available to us in Christ. The Bible says we have an even more sure word of prophecy that has been fulfilled today, which you will do well to pay attention to. The Bible says all of God's promises find their yes in him. Find their yes in Christ. You know, 1 Chronicles also reminds us that God does have to deal justly with sin. That God, because he is perfect and holy, must deal with sin. And that he is going to deal with sin once and for all. There will be a judgment for all those who have rejected God. But it also reminds us that he has dealt justly with sin by sending his own son to die on the cross in our place. And that if you are with him, if you are with the eternal king who reigns forever, if you are with the one who dwells among his people, that judgment has been taken for you. But if you are not with Christ if you are still rejecting Christ to this day, that judgment is still awaiting you. It's appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. Friends, perspective matters. We can sing today because we know the end of this story, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, because King Jesus lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. I know that he holds the future. I know that life is worth the living just because he lives. That perfect fulfillment of all the promises reiterated in First Chronicles. Because he lives, not even the gates of hell are going to be able to prevail against his people. Because he lives, we know that we can be hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And oh, by the way, what's the rest of that story? Next slide. The dog is actually rescuing that sheep from drowning in a river to bring him back to the herd. I think that's a great picture for what God is often up to with us. Sometimes it feels like fangs are pressing into our neck because of the painful circumstances that we're enduring. And often those are because we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've wandered away from God and we've gotten ourselves into a mess and we're drowning in the river. Other times, it feels like that because God is simply doing his refining work in us to teach us to depend more on him. But we can know for sure that if we are his, if we belong to him, whatever pain we may be experiencing today, whatever pain we may be experiencing now is preparing us to experience the fullness of an eternal glory with Christ an eternal glory with Christ. Whatever the the 60, 70, 80, 90 years God gives us here on this earth are nothing compared to an eternal life spent with Christ Jesus. Let's keep that perspective today.